Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. What happens when billionaires install their government at the highest levels of the United States? This is the, this is the question that nobody seems to be asking, and, and frankly, nobody's answering. What we're seeing, this dysfunction, this general insanity, you've got Ezra Klein over at Vox.com saying, you know, well, impeachment is a political process and you don't have to prove that the president is either crazy 25th Amendment or criminal, uh, the impeachment clause, because, you know, Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers said impeachment is a political remedy for political problem, et cetera, et cetera. You got the president, Donald Trump tweeting at the wrong Theresa May, <laughs> some poor woman in, in the UK whose, whose middle name is May, uh, going, what the hell? Uh, and, and the British are really seriously upset about this. I mean, he tweeted a picture of a Dutchman killing a Dutchman and said it was a Muslim killing a Dutchman, bloody, bloody, blah. But all of this craziness has been brought to us by over a billion dollars of money coming out of the Koch network, coming out of the Mercer family, coming out of Shelley Adelson in the last election cycle from literally a few thousand multimillionaires and billionaires. And they have bought our government. The uh, citizen.org, the public citizen, the group that Ralph Nader started back in the 60s, still running, still doing great work. They just issued a press release. This is their, the, the headline says the whole thing. The Koch brothers are in the White House. 44 Trump administration officials have close ties to the Koch brothers and their political group, particularly Vice President Mike Pence, White House Legislative Affairs Director Mark Short, U.S. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney. I would add Ryan Zinke to that list. Of the Koch allies who are working in the administration, most are in the White House with 21 officials working there or nominated for White House jobs. Koch allies are also staffing jobs at the EPA, the Interior Department, the Energy Department, and the Treasury Department. The positions they are advocating overlap with the Koch's economic interests in weakening regulatory enforcement, lowering taxes, loosening environmental regulations, and opening up public land to oil and gas extraction. The Kochs already have achieved the majority of goals contained in their, quote, roadmap to repeal. This was a document that uh, in January of this year, Freedom Partners, a Koch group, put out. Robert Weissman, the president of Public Citizen, says Donald Trump is turning the Koch brothers' corporate extremist fantasies into reality. So we're having this moment in the United States where we're all struggling with what do we do with a president who is, according to people in the White House, nuts. I mean, some of the quotes literally coming out of the White House, coming out of the senior aides to Donald Trump saying, this guy is deranged. This guy is out of control. This guy doesn't understand the consequences of his actions. He's walking us into a nuclear war with North Korea. He's antagonizing our allies. He's breaking up our international alliances. He, it, it is total chaos. And, you know, is this just Steve Bannon deconstructing the administrative state now by proxy? 
Or is it something much greater than that? I think it's something much, much greater than that. Ezra Klein makes this brilliant case over at Vox.com, the case for normalizing impeachment, that impeachment is, as I said earlier, just a political process. This is Alexander Hamilton in, in the Federalist Papers. This must be in the 60s, as I recall, where he talks about impeachment. Anyhow, he says, uh, impeachment will proceed from the misconduct of public men. In other words, this is a direct, direct quote from Alexander Hamilton, one of the guys who wrote the Constitution. Where did it go? Here it is. Proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. They are of a nature which may with peculiar propriety be, de- be, de- be denominated political. And Hamilton, as he often did in the Federalist Papers, puts the word political in all caps. As they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to society itself. James Madison, you know, referred to by many as the father of the Constitution. The wanton removal of meritorious officers would subject the president to impeachment and removal. You know, is if the president just starts firing people that he, that, you know, because he doesn't like them, James Comey, that's grounds for impeachment. According to the guy who helped write the Constitution, who kept the notes for the Constitution, who studied for five years before August of 1787 and all the constitutions of every country on earth, basically, and put this thing together. So we're, we're having these voices who are saying, okay, Is it that he's a narcissist and he's deranged? Is it that he is uh, in early stage dementia? Joe Scarborough keeps pointing this out. Go back and look at videos of Donald Trump being interviewed in the 80s. He is sharp. He's to the point. He speaks in complete sentences. He speaks in complete paragraphs. No more. What has happened to this guy's mind? So we're having all these conversations, but nobody is having what I think is the much larger and more important conversation, the real big picture here. What nobody is talking about is that if a group of billionaires had not read the Powell memo in 1971 when, when Lewis Powell wrote that to his neighbor and friend, Eugene Sindor, the president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and said, you know, up until now, up until 1971, business in the United States has been uh, not just afraid, unwilling to engage in politics because we see our mission, business always saw its mission as being part of the community, good stewards of the, of the community, good, you know, employers and, and providers of goods and services. And Powell said, no, that's not enough. We've got to get, we've got to seize political power. We have to, we have to get control of universities. We have to create think tanks. We have to get control of the media. We have to get control of the political system. We have to pack the courts. All of that is happening right now. For the last two years, of the Obama administration, virtually no judges were approved, including one for the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland because the Republicans wanted to stack up hundreds of court vacancies to the point where John Roberts a year and a half ago wrote a letter to Congress saying this is a judicial emergency. So they're packing the courts. They, they, in the 70s, they started creating these think tanks. Charles Koch changed his foundation's name to the Cato Institute. The, the Heritage Foundation was created. The, the, I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on, right? All this stuff. And they have done it. They've pulled it off in 30 years. We now have a corporate coup in America, and it's not just a corporate coup. It's also a billionaire coup. They are running the game. They're running the system. They're putting their people into place for their own purposes, as Public Citizen pointed out this morning. They want want their paper mills to be more profitable by dumping more poison in the air. They want their oil refineries to be more profitable by dumping more poison in our water and our air. All the cancer clusters, you know, downwind from tech, it's all going to get worse. As we continue through this thing, you know, Trump talks about, oh, we got this great legislative achievements now so far. We've done more than any president in history. What was his first legislative accomplishment? Passing a law that made it legal for for coal companies to dump their waste into the rivers of West Virginia. And every and and the rest of the country, of course. But, you know, that's where the whole thing started. How is that an accomplishment? Oh, that's right. It increases the profits of the coal companies. Does it help the miners? No, of course not. In fact, disposing of coal waste is a fairly labor-intensive job. It's, it requires equipment and people and people to design the equipment and people to maintain the equipment. But we don't need all that. If we can just dump it in the river, that takes one guy with a dump truck. This is their legislative. And this is just like micro to the macro. I mean, at every level, what, you know, blowing up the Consumer F- uh, Finance Protection Bureau, the CFPB, as Richard Cordray is on his way out. 
CFPB has recovered 11, or excuse me, $13 billion for Americans and distributed it. What was the first thing Mick Mulvaney did when he went in there and he said, stop, no more payments to consumers. That's money you took from the big banks. Of course, they committed fraud to have to pay those fines, but hey, they're the big banks. They financed my election. We have a corruption problem in this country. We have a crazy president problem in this country. We've got a Congress that's sold out problem in this country. And all of it, or much of it, you can track back to 1976 when Lewis Powell, who was put on the Supreme Court in 72 by Nixon, 1976, he authored the Buckley decision and said the First Amendment protects the rights of billionaires to own politicians. It's been all downhill since then. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of... uh, my thoughts on this, the news of the day, and your calls right after this. And welcome back. Boy, a lot of people want to weigh in on this stuff here. John in Vernon Hills, Illinois, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, my question is on that sneaky uh, amendment or whatever hey. that was done while. We had a, a good president, Barack Obama, that the, uh, if there's a bailout needed, they would be bailing out with our savings and checking accounts. Right. Yeah, that, 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 uh, I, I, don't, I don't recall if it was legislation or if it was an administrative rule change, but that happened, what, about three years ago? I ranted about it for like two weeks on the air, um, where basically the, the way that bo- banks book your savings and checking used to be a liability. It used to be that the banks had to list it as money that they owed you. It was your money they owed it to you. Now they can book it as an asset. And as a consequence of that, number one, the balance sheets of the banks look a hell of a lot better. And number two, when, if a bank goes bankrupt, they get to keep your money because it's their asset. It's not, you you know, you're not first in line for the bankruptcy proceedings anymore. And that's pretty, pretty damn bizarre stuff. Yeah. Another question, there's two uh, double-edged more question is, does that include safety deposit boxes and IRAs? I believe so, but I, I, you know, we would have to, well, in the next hour, uh, Richard Wolf, who, uh, the economist out of New York City, is going to be with us. I'll ask him that question. I'll try to remember to ask him that question because it's a good okay. one. John, well, thank you for the call. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good to hear from you. Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Yes. Good morning, Tom. Uh, and Dr. Wolf is brilliant. I always enjoy when he's on the program. Yeah, me too. Um, he is great. He's our sole um, guest you know, today. A couple of times I've spoken about, uh, you know, how this Trump presidency, it's, it's being like in the twilight zone every day. Mm-hmm. A couple of times I've said this to you in the past, um, and it's, it's very true. And I cannot imagine another three years of this uh, insanity that's been brought upon us. Um, this tax bill, which apparently is going to be approved by the Senate. McCain has come out for it, apparently. And uh, what, what I'm very concerned about with what you've laid out, and uh, everything you said is true this morning here, and I feel this is just going to be a bridge too far, and this is going to lead to, you know, economic, possibly economic and social unrest, and it could lead us into possible anarchy. Our, our country's falling apart. Yeah, I predict think? that if this tax bill passes and, and uh, Trump signs it, that within 12 to 18 months, we will be in a Great Depression. There, there are so many things built into this tax bill that will sabotage our economy. For example, you know, losing the deductibility of your mortgage interest. Uh, yeah, yes, it's on houses over 500 grand, but those are not that uncommon these days. Even, even a sag in the high end of the housing market will, will be disastrous. Um, losing your ability to, to deduct student loan debt, losing your ability to deduct medical expenses. How many people don't have somebody in their family uh, or in their extended family, a cousin, an uncle, a niece, and whatever, who requires massive amounts of medical intervention, you know, because they have cancer, because they have, you know, some long-term condition that it might even be that they were born with, um, you know, or whatever it may be. And, and more than 10% of their income goes to their medical expenses, which makes it right now under the current law, something that's tax deductible, that goes away. I mean, they're doing away with all the, quote, loopholes that average people use, and they're replacing them with giant loopholes for corporations. Like, sure, you can bring $3 trillion back to the United States and only pay 10% or 20% interest or tax on it, not that 35%. Because, you know, after all, we love it when you keep your money overseas. We're going to reward you for that. Steve, thank you for the call. Well said. We'll be right back. Hey, 
everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeets.com on the interwebs. Welcome back. A member of the British Parliament is now saying Trump has stepped over the line. He should be arrested for inciting racial hatred, which is exactly what he did. It's what Britain first does for a little. This is a little tiny fringe group. They got like 50,000 followers on Twitter. It's It's just a little tiny fringe group in the UK that is made up of haters and bigots and at least from what I'm reading in the BBC. And Trump retweets these three tweets, and Paul Flynn, a member of the British Parliament, says Trump should be arrested for inciting racial hatred if if Prime Minister Theresa May allows him to set foot on UK soil. So we have our closest ally, the country that birthed us, perhaps unwittingly or unwillingly, but the country that created the United States, from which the United States of America was created, saying... Yeah, your president should go to jail. And then, and then, I mean, you look at, okay, go back to Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton's saying one of the things for which a president could be impeached is capriciously firing or firing for, for the wrong reasons people in his senior staff. Now, I would say the Secretary of State is in your senior staff. Currently, it's Rex Tillerson. But there's a plan that, and this was just released today. And by the way, apropos of all this, let me just recommend over at the Washington Post, Philip Rucker and Ashley Parker's new piece, uh, Trump veers past guardrails, feeling impervious to the uproar he causes. We'll talk about that. And also uh, the New York Times, how tax bills would reward companies moving uh, moving their money offshore. We'll talk about that, all, all of that, in our more of it in our third hour, actually. But this thing with Tillerson is truly breathtaking. I mean, it's, it's truly mind-boggling that they're thinking of replacing Rex Tillerson with, with Tom Cotton. Excuse me. They're, they're thinking of replacing Rex Tillerson with Mike Pompeo. Now, Mike Pompeo, he used to be one of the Tea Partiers in Congress. So he, you know, he's, he's a sellout to the, to, to the Coke network and all their buddies. And he's now running the CIA. And apparently every morning he gets together with Trump and personally gives him a security briefing, which as we all know, if you, if you meet Trump frequently and you suck up to him a lot and you tell him how wonderful he is, he will promote you. And apparently Mike Pompeo has been doing his you know, butt kissing routine and doing it quite effectively. But here's where it gets truly weird. Remember back, oh geez, it must've been like three years ago. It was March of 2015. Uh, It was two years ago. Barack Obama was president. He negotiated a deal with Iran to stop the growth of their nuclear program. And 47 Republican senators wrote a letter to the mullahs in charge of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Now, the Constitution clearly gives foreign policy to the executive branch, not the legislative branch. Legislative branch passes laws. Executive branch negotiates treaties. Congress, the Senate specifically, ratifies them with a two-thirds vote. So here you have senators wildly exceeding their power. In fact, here here is what... And a verbatim quote from General Paul Eaton, 
This guy's a major general. He's now retired. This is what he had to say two years ago about what Tom Cotton did in the U.S. Senate, sending this letter to Iran. He was asked, you know, is this treasonous or, or no, he, he was asked if this was a breach of protocol. And he said, I would use the word mutinous. He said, I believe they defied the chain of command in what could be construed as an illegal act. The chain of command, of course, was President Obama. Again, quoting from General Eaton, what Senator Cotton did is a gross breach of discipline. And especially as a veteran of the army, he should know better to engage to directly, I'm qu again, quoting a general, to directly engage a foreign entity in this way, undermining the strategy and work of our diplomats and, and commander-in-chief, strains the very discipline and structure that our foreign relations depend on to succeed. And by the way, this was at the point, keep in mind, Tom Cotton and the 46th Senator, and he, he was the leader of this. It's not that he was just like part of the crowd. He was the one who wrote the letter and got 46 other guys to sign it. And at that point in time, in March of 2015, we didn't even know the details of the deal yet. They basically just wrote a letter to Iran saying, ignore our president. That black guy in the White House, he's gonna be gone. He can't even put somebody in the Supreme Court. Don't worry, we've got this under control. Us Republicans and the billionaires who own us, we're gonna make this work. We're gonna have a war with Iran. And our military industrial complex is going to be very, very happy. And our economy will be stimulated. And we'll get credit for it because everybody loves a wartime president. Isn't that what George W. Bush told Mickey Aronson, his, his biographer, back in, two, in 1999 when he, was, when he was contemplating running for president? Or 1998, I guess it was. And he said, you know, my father had all this political capital built up when he invaded Iraq and he blew it. Verbatim quote from, Donald, or from the George W. Bush. If I become president... If I have an opportunity to invade Iraq, I won't blow it. In other words, he would have a nice long war to get himself reelected, something his daddy failed to do. This is, this is the general insanity now of the Republican Party. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And to bring it back to Tom Cotton, Tom Cotton is the guy that they want to replace Mike Pompeo at the head of the CIA. The guy who General uh, Eaton says was basically a traitor. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, I'm super pleased to have Professor Richard Wolff, economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author most recently of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, essays on the global economic meltdown. You can find all of his writing over at rdwolf with two fs.com or democracyatwork.info. You can tweet him at profwolf, as in Professor Wolf, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F. -F. Professor Richard Wolf, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be back again uh, talking with you. It is always great having you. So big banks are, are uh, you know, how to, how to say this? What I read this morning in the Times, I believe it was, yeah, in the New York Times, how tax bills would reward companies that move money offshore, is that essentially most of the big American banks have set up hundreds, in some cases thousands, of offshore subsidiaries and this is actually where wealthy people and big corporations are stashing their money. It's in U.S. banks, offshore uh, divisions, at least many of them. And, and we're looking at $3 trillion, Google, Apple, Pfizer, and General Electric. But the Republicans play this as if that $3 trillion, because it's offshore, is money that's not available to Google and Apple and whatnot. My understanding was that they could say to, say, Wells Fargo, okay, we've got a trillion, or yeah, we got $300 billion sitting in your offshore subsidiary in the Caymans, so we don't have to pay taxes on it, but we can't access that money. Would you please loan us $300 billion at 1.5%, and then we'll be able to use that money and make 5 6 7% return on investment and pay you back. So there's, they still functionally have access to that money, don't they? Absolutely. The, uh, the way that works is uh, Wells Fargo or... Citibank or Chase, any of them, uh, use the offshore account with all that money in it as the collateral. So they're perfectly happy to lend uh, at the going interest rate to whatever company has stashed that money abroad 
which means that the company has complete access to the money that it has stashed abroad, can do anything that it wants to do or thinks is profitable to do with that borrowed money, and all the while depriving the American government of the taxes they would otherwise have had to pay if they had not gotten the special legislation through which gives uh, corporations the extraordinary special privilege of paying no taxes whatsoever on money earned abroad and kept abroad uh, in a, uh, a bank account or any other kind of account overseas. And let me just add, all of the uh, parts of the American economy that helped to produce and develop and distribute whatever these companies make or sell, uh, that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, suddenly, they are not a quote-unquote American economy, even though they were born here and they rely on countless supports from the American government, both at the national and at the local level. They are nonetheless able to escape paying their fair share of taxes. And since it's on the order of several trillion dollars, there's one inescapable conclusion that the claims of both Republicans and Democrats, but particularly the Republicans over the last 20 years, that there wasn't enough money in the federal government, oh, to give loans to college students who couldn't otherwise go, or to repair our crumbling infrastructure, or for any other worthwhile process. The truth was, the money was there if only these corporations had not been given this special law allowing them literally to escape paying the fair share of taxes they would otherwise have had to pay. So we, all of us, have paid uh, in, the, in the way of a, a constricted American government uh, services simply because they gave this special privilege to these corporations to evade their fair share in that way. Yeah. Somebody called a little earlier and reminded me of a rant that I did a few years back uh, when there was a change, and, I, and, and I, I'm sorry that I don't recall the, the exact details on this, and I'm hoping you would do, uh, or maybe I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is that there was a change in the way that banks book uh, basically savings and checking accounts, that they used to be considered liabilities, and so if the bank went bankrupt, the depositors were first in line to be repaid, and it got changed so that they could book them as assets to make the books, banks look healthier, but also meaning that in the case of a bankruptcy, the banks could actually use your money to bail themselves back out again. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Um, it, it's, it's actually been uh, given a new name. It's called a bail-in. That's right. That's in right. order to avoid a bail-out. So let me just briefly explain. A bail-out is when the bank um, messes up, makes loans to folks who can't pay back, or otherwise misinvests the money that has been deposited or contributed to the bank. And when the bank falls apart because it can't honor its obligations, having made bad investments, it turns to the government to bail them out. The problem with that, and that's of course what happened back in 2008 on an incredible scale around the world, the anger of the public was, oh my goodness, the government is using our tax money to bail out the failed economic activity of private profit-driven banks. There's something wrong with this picture. And so it became clear to bankers that they could not rely, in the event of future economic downturns, uh, they could not rely on turning to the government as they did back in the 30s and as they did again in 2008. So they came up with a new idea to reconsider the deposits as though they were in some sense uh, assets that the bank as a private enterprise could take. In other words, what they can now do, and this is true in many countries, including the United States, is under specific circumstances the bank can access your deposits, consider them their assets, and therefore solve, hopefully temporarily, 
their failed economic activity by using your money and not having to go to the government to be bailed out. Amazing. It is unspeakably outrageous, but look, these days, people like us who are economists and not even necessarily critical are watching one outrage after another uh, pass the uh, paid-for politicians in Washington and covered over with a veneer of Trump tweets pretending it's the opposite of what's actually going on. It's, it's quite a spectacle. Yeah, it, it was astonishing to watch uh, Paul Ryan on television this morning just lying through his teeth about this tax bill. We have 60 seconds left, Professor Wolf. What do you think, is it possible that, that this tax bill all by itself could precipitate another Great Depression? Absolutely. There was a story in Bloomberg this morning uh, in which a number of uh, CEOs were interviewed, and they were basically asked the question, if this tax cut goes through and you save a ton of money in taxes, are you going to use it to hire lots more people, which is the promise of jobs uh, that the Republicans and Trump and Ryan and all that keep saying? They smilingly told Bloomberg, which reported, not at all. We expect to use that money to give more dividends to our shareholders, to improve the pay package for our top executives. Reminding us all that when you cut taxes on corporations in our society, you don't necessarily get anything that you wanted because you've left all the discretion in the hands of the corporation, which can do what it will with whatever money they don't have to pay in taxes. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, and the, the consequences of it to us as a country are, are extraordinary as well. Professor Richard Wolf. Uh, the Economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown, among others, democracyatwork.info, rdwolf.com. Richard, uh, Professor Wolf, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Tom, and look forward to doing it again with you soon. Me too. Me too. Okay. Professor, thank you so much. We'll be right back. This Evening is with. the Tom Hartman Program. Please join Dr. Wolf for an evening with Jackson Rising author Kali Akuno on the 19th. RSVP, go to democracyatwork.info. Welcome back. Back in 1964, at the Republican convention, Barry Goldwater was running for president. He was being challenged by Nelson Rockefeller, as I recall. Rockefeller got up and gave a speech about moderation and how important it was. Rockefeller was literally booed off the platform. Barry Goldwater got up and gave a speech about how, uh, you know, uh, extremism in the pursuit of liberty is no vice. And uh, moderation in the pursuit of or moderation in the face of an assault on liberty, I forget the exact phrase that he used, is no virtue, right? And, the, and just the crowd went nuts. In other words, we're right-wing extremists and we're proud of it. And then Dwight Eisenhower got up. The former president, the former Republican president of the United States got up and gave a speech about how important it was for the Republican Party to remember how important it was for the Republican Party to remember that we are part of the world. How important, in 1964, Dwight Eisenhower at the Republican Convention talked about how important it was that we realize that the extent to which our business practices and political activities are causing poverty around the world that that poverty will turn around and bite us in the ass. Forgive my French. Bite us in the butt. Not a phrase that Eisenhower would have used. Mine. But this was when the Republican Party still had people in it who actually cared about people. I mean, keep in mind, right now, John McCain, who is being treated for cancer, just announced he's going to vote for a piece of legislation that in all probability is going to cause a $25 billion a year cut to Medicare, which is then going to cause the more expensive procedures covered by Medicare, like chemotherapy, to no longer be available to people on Medicare because the government can't pay for it, because the Republicans gave all that money to the billionaires and to the transnational corporations. John McCain 
and the rest of the Republican, so far the only person in, you know, opposed to this tax bill, to the best of my knowledge, is Susan Collins. And she's not even saying she's going to vote against it. She's just saying, don't count me as a yes. These guys are willing to let Americans die. I mean, we saw this writ large during the Republican primary when Rand Paul was asked, or actually five years ago when Ron Paul was asked by, uh, by uh, Anderson Cooper. So you get a 30-year-old unemployed guy who has no health insurance and he gets hit by a car out in front of the hospital. Should we pay for his treatment? And somebody in the, in the audience yelled, let him die, which is essentially what Ron Paul said and what Rand Paul would say today and what all the libertarians would say. It's not the business of government to, to protect people's lives. Forget the fact that Thomas Jefferson wrote life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence. Forget that. Those guys didn't know what they were talking about. The preamble, the Constitution, a more perfect union. Come on. Domestic tranquility. Are you kidding me? The general welfare? Really? We don't give a damn about the general welfare. We just want to make sure that the billionaires who pay our bills get their tax breaks. But Dwight Eisenhower in 1964 at the Republican convention had the courage to remind the Republicans, and they ultimately ignored him. They elected Barry Goldwater to be their standard bearer. And Barry Goldwater was not, he was not a monster. I, I guess it depends on who you are and what you think of it. He was opposed to the Civil Rights Act, for example. But he was, he was not, he, Barry Goldwater wasn't a sellout the way these Republicans are today. He had a set of principles. I think some of them were wrong. He opposed the Civil Rights Act because he felt it should be done on a state-by-state -state level, or at least that's what he said. And I, I actually believe that Barry Goldwater was probably trying to talk from principle. But by and large, Goldwater and the rest of the Republicans at the 64 election, at the 64 Republican convention, they didn't give a damn about the average working person. They didn't give a damn about what was happening to people around the world. They were concerned about acquiring political power. And Dwight Eisenhower came in, and this is what he had to say. There can be no enduring peace for any nation while other nations suffer privation, oppression, and a sense of injustice and despair. In our modern world, it is madness to suppose that there could be an island of tranquility and prosperity in the sea of wretchedness and frustration. You notice there's no applause lines? It was not a particularly well-received speech, but that was Dwight Eisenhower. And that was when the Republican Party actually had some courage. The Republican Party actually had some heart. The Republican Party actually cared for more than just the billionaires. Although Dwight Eisenhower had to deal with this. His own brother, Edgar, wrote him a letter saying, you know, hey, you're not, you're not helping out the billionaires enough, essentially. You know, we need more right-wing stuff. And, and Eisenhower wrote him back a letter. You can Google it. Edward, Edward Eisen, or Edgar Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, just Google the words small, stupid, and uh, maybe hunt, and you'll get it. The, the letter that uh, Eisenhower wrote to his brother, he said, there are, there are some right-wingers down in Texas who believe that you can do this stuff, that you can kill Social Security. He said their numbers are small and are negligible, and they are stupid. They still are, but now they have power. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And thus, we all need to watch our backs. We'll be back. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. 
Check out xchairtom.com and be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. Robert S. McElvaney, and I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. It's M-C-E-L-V-A-I-N-E, teaches uh, uh, history at Millsaps College. And he's the author of a book on the Great Depression. It's titled The Great Depression, America, 1929 to 1941. He's an expert, one of, one of our nation's major experts on the Great Depression. And he's got this amazing piece in today's Washington Post. I, I really want to commend it to you. And he's talking about what happened in the 1920s. In 1926, Calvin Coolidge's Treasury Secretary, Andrew Mellon, one of the world's richest men, pushed through a massive tax cut that would substantially contribute to the causes of the Great Depression. Republican Senator George Norris of Nebraska said that Mellon himself would reap from the tax bill a larger personal reduction in taxes than the aggregate of practically all the taxpayers in the state of Nebraska. The same is now true of Donald Trump, the Koch brothers, Sheldon Adelson, and other fabulously rich people. And then he talks about the 20s, how everybody's worshiping business, all the Republicans. And, uh, you know, and then he just basically goes through everything that the Republicans are up to. He says, in the 1920s, Republicans were in full control of the federal government and used that power to pursue their objective to make the well-do prosperous. It didn't leak through on those below. In that decade, the mass production American economy became dependent on mass consumption. Republican policies in the 20s instead pushed to concentrate more of the income at the top. Nine decades later, Republicans are rushing to do it again, and they are sprinting toward an economic cliff. Another round of government of the people by the Republicans for the super rich will be catastrophic. The American people must call a halt before it's too late. I mean, at a certain level, it's almost like, yeah, go ahead, make my day. But it's going to hurt so many people if the Republicans pass this bill. Mark in La Mesa, California. Hey, Mark, what's up? What's on your mind? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Tom. Uh, I'm a longtime listener. You're great. Thank you. Um, I, I, I had heard you uh, interview uh, Richard Wolf previously, and I was concerned because I'm retired. Mm-hmm. And I have some money in the bank, and um, I think you and Tom had stated, but I couldn't really, I wasn't listening that closely. Uh, maybe you can explain this to me. Um, if the, the economy does collapse and the banks go bankrupt, uh, I'm worried that they're going to take my money that I have in depo- on deposit there. They legally can do that. Okay. Uh, but, if you have less than a quarter million dollars, Mark, and the bank takes your money, my understanding is that the FDIC will repay you, but it may be a multi-year process to get that money. Um, but yeah, the banks, they, they changed the rules after 2008. So the banks can now do as Richard Wolf talked about a bail in rather than a bailout. They can take your and my money rather than taking the government's money. Okay. But you're saying that if I have less than 250,000, I can get that back. Yes. And also you might want to seriously consider moving your money out of a bank and into a credit union. Credit unions are not subject to those rules. To the best of my knowledge, they have a whole separate set of rules. Credit unions are not for profits. When you become a member of a credit union, the number of dollars you have is essentially the number of shares you have in that organization. You can, you, they're, they're democracies, they're nonprofit democracies. You can run to become an officer of the credit union. You can become, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can run for those positions. You can become a, a director of the corporation, of the bank. You have some say in how its money is spent, things like that. Plus, uh, credit unions tend to pay better interest rates than banks do because they're not skimming money off the top to pay their executives millions of dollars. Um, their executives tend to be people in the local community who are making, you know, an average salary. So uh, there's a... Okay, but are they FDIC insured? They're not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is specifically for banks. They're insured by the federal... Uh, I, I don't know the acronym or the, na- the specific name of it, but there's an identical federal agency specifically for credit unions, just like there's an identical federal agency specific for SNLs that does the same thing and, yes, guarantees your, your deposits up to a quarter million dollars. Okay, so if they went down, then, then I would be uh, covered by them. I mean, they would 
Right. They would but see, the credit unions aren't going to go down when the big banks do. You, we've got seven or eight or nine banks here in the United States that are so exposed internationally, that are still playing in the derivatives game, that are, that are floating literally trillions and in some cases hundreds of trillions of dollars where the CDOs, you know, these debt obligations, collateralized debt obligations and, 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 and uh, you know, basically all, the whole package of different kinds of derivatives. And, uh, you know, they're, they're vulnerable. They're in a situation where they could get caught just like the banks did in 2008 and, and be frozen. In 2008, when the big banks were, were shutting down and freaking out, credit unions were doing just fine because they weren't gambling with your money. They can't. They're not allowed to by law, whereas the banks can't. And, uh, you know, similarly in the 1980s, in 83, Reagan deregulated the savings and loans and said, yes, you can start gambling with your depositors' money. Guess what happened? By 1986, the entire savings and loan industry in the United States was bankrupt. Uh, you know, people like uh, George Bush's brother had, uh, you know, I forget which Bush it was. It wasn't Neil Bush. Neil, that's right. Neil, Neil made off with money from the Silverado savings and loan. And of course, you had Keating down in Arizona, you know, bribing John McCain. John McCain almost went to jail over that. Keating did go to jail for it. And so they re-regulated the SNLs. Uh, they, and, and they tightened the regulations on credit unions, but the banks were so big and so powerful that they couldn't increase the regulations on them. And starting in 1999 with the Commodity Futures Modernization Act and then with Graham H. Bliley blowing up, you know, the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, all of these things, you know, Glass-Steagall basically, you know, the, the, you must separate investment banking from commercial banking and whatnot. All of that just, just went, to, went to heck, you know, I mean, it just blew up. Um, because the Republicans started dancing to the tune of the big banks. So for an individual, in my opinion, this is, now I'm not offering financial advice here. I could be wrong. I don't believe I am. But, uh, but I, my experience has been and is that, you know, if you really want good service, if you really want, you know, to have your money safe and you've got less than a quarter million dollars, that a, a credit union is a place to put it. And you could put more than a quarter million in a credit union or you could open accounts in multiple institutions. So, you know, there's lots of ways to, to, to do that, Mark. Mark, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Michael in Brookline, Mass. Hey, Michael, what's up? Michael, you are on the air. Yeah, I know. Uh, just a quick question. The, um, the, uh, if you look at the more progressive countries in the world, like Scandinavia and Germany, you notice that, uh, in general, uh, that union density is much higher. And we... Yes. Uh, uh, suffered union devastation under Reagan. Um, and this has had horrible consequences uh, in the long term for the U.S. So my question is, what can we do to rebuild the union movement in the United States, do you think? We need to end right to work for less. We need to end, uh, you know, that, that whole thing that, that came along in yeah. 1947. Um, uh, it's, it, it is... When, when that hole got drilled in the National Labor Relations Act, the, the Wagner Act of 1935, um, when that uh, hole got drilled in it, it, it provided an opportunity for individual states to basically go back to, to you know, a modern version of chattel labor and, uh, you know, wholly owned labor. And, you know, that, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration. And I don't want to diminish, you know, the impact and horrors of slavery. But, but in any case, that, that, that's what did it. And, uh, you know, we need to repeal that. We need to repeal that, that 1947 legislation, that, uh, the Taft-Hartley Act, that uh, made it possible for, for this to happen. And uh, it needs to be done at the federal level, and, and, and it needs to be fought at state after state after state. And that's just to get us to, you know, I mean, you're right. Germany has like over 90% uh, unionization. Most of the Scandinavian countries over 80%. We hit a peak of around 35% in the late 1970s. And we're down to around 11% right now of union density in the United States, which is horrible. Uh, the Republicans love it because, you know, the unions support the Democrats. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a horrible thing. Michael, thanks for the call. Well said. Andy in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Andy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to share with you a story uh, I heard yesterday on another progressive uh, radio show. And this is in the spirit of improving our elections, not living in the past. But there's a woman named Amy McKim who heads up an uh, organization called Wisconsin Election Integrity. And they are hand-counting votes in a handful of precincts in Wisconsin. And so far, she reported they found that in between 2.5% to over 30% of the votes were missed by the computer, the machine that counts the votes. And Whoa. I just thought that was astounding. And in the area of Racine, 
she actually indicated they are looking at it a little more deeply because there does seem to be, to them, some shenanigans. I don't want to use the word fraud, but I think that's what she was sure. pointing to. And, you know, when... when tell me, tell me, hang on just a second. Say, hey, Andy, yeah. can you tell me this yeah. person's name again and any information you have about how to get in touch with her? Her name is Amy McKim, and I don't know how to spell that. Okay. But the website is wisconsinelectionintegrity.org. WisconsinElectionIntegrity.org, and that just floored me. I thought it was re- it was reported by a, a, a responsible uh, progressive radio host who who hammers on uh, election integrity, yeah, voter integrity, and you probably could pick out who it is, yeah. And uh, you know, th- this is just an indication that when we don't have, you know, I don't want to live in a fake democracy. I don't want to have people who are uh, say they represent people when they actually don't. And we get these laws and policies that nobody wants. Well, a lot of this dates right back to 2002 and uh, George Bush, the Republican Party, pushing through the Help America Vote Act, uh, so-called, which transferred six billion federal dollars to the states to buy voting machines from private for-profit corporations and allowed the privatization of our vote. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible piece of legislation. And, you know, on top of 200 years of, of, uh, you know, denying the franchise to people, and uh, spot on. Andy, I'm going to see what I can do to find Amy McKimmon. If you find out more information about how to reach her, uh, you know, when we're live on the air, feel free to call and share that with Arthur and he'll pass it along to me. Andy, thanks so much for the call. We'll be right back. It's coming up on 15 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We'll be back with more of your calls in the final 15 minutes of the Tom Hartman program right after this. And welcome back. Richard, watching Free Speech TV in Trout Lake, Washington. Hey, Richard, what's up? Uh, good morning. I wanted to talk about the, uh, the discussion on the economic impacts of the so-called uh, tax fraud bill. Yeah, the tax scam. When you t- yeah. yeah. When you talk about a banking crisis where the bank seizes customer assets, how do you think this will affect the monthly federal pension, payroll, and Social Security checks? Will they get sucked up in the the second that they're deposited? And then if so, is there any way to sidestep this besides the credit unions? Yeah, if they're they're on automatic deposit and the bank is claiming your money as theirs under this bail-in provision, then conceivably that could be the case. I'm not sufficiently familiar with the details of the legislation or the rulemaking to be able to directly answer your question, Richard, but it's a really okay. good question. I wish I knew the answer. I don't uh, right off the top of my head. I'm sorry, but it's, uh, right. you know, I'll, I'll see if I can find out. I'll report back. Okay. All right. And then uh, one last other thought that I had while I was mm-hmm. listening to the conversations sure. to energize the democratic base in uh, prior to the 2018 uh, elections. What do you think about another women's March in uh, Washington? I think it's a great idea. I think the, the, the number one thing that's going to energize the Democratic base is, is women and minorities on tickets. Uh, you know, it's increasingly the, the era and age of, of old white men, uh, speaking as one myself, is passing. And it's a good thing. Old white men have done a lot of damage to the people of this country and the people of the world, basically. And, and I'm, I'm actually pleased to see white male privilege fading. Richard, thank you for the call. Excellent points. Scott in Canaan, Maine. Hey, Richard. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Good. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. It, you got a new office, man. It, it looks good. Thank Where you. Where are you at now? We're in Portland, Portland, Oregon. Portland. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good looking set. Thank you. Hey, listen, I needed to get your, I haven't, I haven't talked to you or watched you in a couple, I don't know, it's been a while, a couple of weeks anyways. I wanted to get your opinion on this tax thing that they got going on and for the corporations. Then people don't pay their taxes now. Right. Why, why, would, why would they need a break right. or a tax break? Yeah, I mean, about they a, hide it offshore and yeah, about 20%, do it. Yeah, about 20% and, of American corporations who are publicly traded pay no taxes. Yeah. Over 90% of all American corporations pay no taxes. And we're going to give them a tax break at a time when they're more profitable than they've ever been in history. The stock market is higher than it's ever been in history. Unemployment's lower yeah. than it's been in 15 years. And this is the time for the tax majority, break? No. The majority of their loopholes are still intact as well, from what I understand. They're adding new ones, in fact. Yeah. 
Um, real quick, because I, I know you got other callers in line. It's just good to see you again. I haven't been able to watch you in a while. But um, there's another thing, Tom, that you talk about that I heard no one else talk about except people on RT. This thing with Japan, where they're dumping all those millions and millions of radioactive water into oh, the yeah. Pacific on top of what's already leaking there. Yeah. What's going on with that? I haven't heard about is, any outcry. It is still a mess. No. It's still a crisis. We're they've, world. Yeah, they, they've, they've found one of the cores, one of the melted cores. They don't know what yeah. to do with it. Um, they, they, the frozen wall of ice didn't work, and so yeah. they don't do what to, know what to do with that. We need to get Kevin Camps uh, or you know some of the guys from BeyondNuclear.org back on the program because they're up to date on this. My information is a few weeks old. So let me find out about that too, Scott, and put that on the list. Thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Rick in Gig Harbor, Washington. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Oh, hey, Tom. Long-time listener. First time I've called you. And uh, two, two, two things. You. One is is that it just totally frustrates me that Trump is trying to undo literally all the good stuff that Obama put into play while he was there. And that's just a crying out loud shame. It's not good for us. Maybe yeah. it's good for the big corporations, you know, with the EPA backing down and all that. But you had mentioned earlier with an earlier caller that all we need is the Democrats to get back in power and they can reverse all that, put it all back into play like Obama had. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Okay. It'll take so 60 votes in the Senate, so it means we've got a heavy lift. But uh, I, you know, I think as the American people see the scam that these Republicans are running, and particularly if this Republican tax scam passes and throws us into a Great Depression next year, the American people are mm. going to know what happened, just like they knew what happened in 1929. Okay. So here's my question. You know, 220 is not that far away. Right. And there was all that horrible, rotten stuff on Trump, yet he still got elected, Right. Well, sort of. He lost by three million why, votes. Why, why couldn't everybody point out these horrible things about him, you know, in a way before he was elected that, he, you know, it kept him from being elected? Yeah. Having said that, <laughs> we, need to, we need a president that's going to nurture this country back together again as a whole, yes. which means we need a mother, a real mother, not the other kind of mother in the White House. And I would like and we need a national platform like you to start a petition to 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 send Obama, send the Obamas a message that Michelle needs to run now as president, with her husband as the vice president, and the two of them can fix it all. I would love I to vote for Michelle Obama. I think she'd been elected in a heartbeat. I would vote. For, I would campaign for Michelle Obama. I'd travel the country for Michelle Obama. My guess is that the the leading candidates right now are Kamala Harris, um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders. Uh, on the Democratic side, and and, and arguably, um, oh, what's his name from New Jersey? Cory Booker, and and Cory Booker. Those, that, that's the list that I would say is probably at the top of most people's consciousness. Uh, in all probability, now, Andrew Cuomo is going to How old is Bernie now? But Bernie is like seventy-two, I think, maybe seventy-three. He'd be seventy-four or seventy-five, something like that, when he uh, became president, which is pretty old, yeah. and it's going to cause a lot of people to go, "Hey, wait a minute." Uh, on the other hand, if you watch Bernie for 15 minutes, you get it. This, this guy has the, the mind and stamina of a 50-year-old, not a 70-year-old. So, you know. Well, I love Bernie. Yeah. I love Bernie, yeah, but so, we, we need an absolute that's absolutely somebody can win. Yeah. I would love to see a ticket that is Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris or vice versa. I think yeah. that that ticket, you've got a woman of color and a, and a, and a woman who has, you know, Kamala Harris and, and then a woman in, in, in um, in Warren, in Elizabeth Warren, who has an incredible track record, really knows what she's talking about, is really great, at, a great orator. Both of them together, they're both brilliant politicians. I think they would totally kick butt. I would love to see them running. Rick, I got to move, but thanks for the call. Trash Man in Supreme Jury, California. Trash? Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a nickname. But wealth is a crime, Tom, and the crime is treason. That's a great truth we never hear. But I call today to debate you on the, uh, you want to insert banksters into the Second Amendment? You want insurance companies to control who can get a gun or not? Yeah. Now, won't the ultimate result of that be that they'll raise the rates and they'll, poor will not be able to afford guns? Not if there's competition. The if you believe in competition, trash, you know that if 
if you require insurance, I mean, look right now, the, the, there's a war going on on TV between Liberty Mutual and Geico for your dollars for your car. You are required by law if you own a car and you drive it outside of your own home, you're required to have liability insurance. And some states even require you to have more than just liability insurance, but every state requires liability insurance. And you know, it's not that expensive, but it's an expense. And, but we drive our cars a lot and our cars have a much higher value and can, and can do a lot of damage, a much higher value than a gun. Um, I, my guess would be based on back when I used to be an NRA member pre-2008 and, and I used to see insurance offerings from time to time that liability insurance for a gun owner would probably run in the neighborhood of 10 to $25 a month. But a lot is going to depend on your record. If you, if you have a bunch of domestic assault cases on your, on your record, probably they're going to charge you two or $300 a month or maybe even $1,000 a month, which I think is entirely appropriate. Trash, thanks for the call. Liz in North Aurora, Illinois. Hey, Liz. Um, what's Hi, up? Liz, we only have 40 talk- seconds, so a quick one, please. Okay, talk about how Democrats and Republicans switch platforms. When was that? Because I think only... Oh, you mean on racial issues in the, in the 60s? Well, no, only they change platforms because they form my... All Republicans think they're just Republicans because they think they abolished slavery, but it switched. Right. Yeah, it you absolutely know? switched. And, and the Republican Party had been, uh, I'm not even sure any party was okay on race up until the 60s because, it, you know, things, things that should have been done in the 1860s never got done until the 1960s. Um, but certainly the, the, in the South, the Democratic Party had been the, the party of racial se- segregation and the Republicans had been pushing against that. That all changed in 1964. And that's, that's where we are at now. Anyhow, it's been a fascinating day. Thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, Democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. This is an all hands on deck. We've got to get 60 Democrats in the Senate so that we can undo some of the damage that Donald Trump is doing to this country right now as we speak. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. I'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.